to Piece by Piece, the musical theatre talk show podcast. This is part two of our discussion of Carousel. Our host, Joe Bunker, is joined by guests Joe Davies, Keith Hyam, Molly Lynch and Alex Young. We rejoin them as they begin exploring Act Two of Carousel. Hello and welcome back to Piece by Piece, Carousel. It should be noted at this point that Ms. Alex Young has had to leave us temporarily to attend an antenatal yoga class, but she will be back later on for the quiz. So, Act 2 opens with uh, the clam bake. Uh, this was a real nice clam bake. And it's kind of an interesting song because it, in, it doesn't exist in the play. In the play, the, the crime caper that Billy and Jigger go on is it's, its own separate thing. There's no backdrop of the clam bake. Why do you think the clam bake is there, Joe? What purpose does it serve theatrically to have this uh, clam bake at the start of Act Two? I guess the purpose of the clam bake is to show the strength of community, um, and that that becomes really important later on in the piece when you're looking at the way that the community support Julie through the extraordinary sequence that follows in Act Two. And also, I guess in a sense, it feels a little bit, and maybe, I'm in, maybe I've put this onto the piece, but it does feel a little bit as if when Billy dies, there is a degree of guilt from that community as well. It, it just feels like somehow they haven't treated him well as an outsider. And, and I think that whole thing about the clam bake, as well as sort of you know, setting us off in a great uplifting way, like a picnic in Oklahoma, you know, to celebrate the the community. I think that's what it's about. It's about tradition. It's about, um, you know, people's livelihoods. It's a fishing community. It is about how people kick back and relax. And it shows us also, I think, that Billy's incapable of doing that. And it gives it a very strong sense of place as well, because they've, you know, the, the play is set in Hungary, and then this has moved to the American coast. And so along with Blow High, Blow Low, it's also one of the songs that really roots it in this coastal community, and this is how we all bond. It's something we do that's kind of authentically and fully American. And it has that kind of uh, kind of dramatic irony as well, I suppose, because it's, on the one hand, this joyous, lovely kind of bubble bath of a song in, you know, in Walt's time. But at the same time, we're also aware that there is this this... Uh, kind of crime being planned and we're anxious about how that's going to pan out and knowing what we do with Jigger we're kind of a little bit kind of uh, trepidatious about that um, and then there's this scene where Jigger kind of molests Carrie he sort of uh, kind of convinces her to sort of hug him through various kind of cunning ruses um, and then Mr Snow comes in and uh, and is furious because he sees uh, Carrie over Jigger's shoulder um, this is kind of an interesting moment in the show for me because it never really gets followed up on. But at this point, Mr. Snow leaves her. He tells her what he thinks of her and says that she's a kind of loose woman and walks out. Um, and we don't see him again until, you know, 16 years have passed. What do you guys uh, make of that show or that moment in the in the piece? He's such a lovable character in some ways. And then you just part of you just despises him, the things he says. And to me, he's like the capitalist, like American uh, character. And I actually think he's he's like the antithesis to Julie. They're they're both characters I found that to be really far apart. I, I just have in my head that the version Alex, uh, Gavin Spokes did was just, it would be, he made it completely comedic 
So I, it was such a conflicting thing because it was so adorable and lovable, but then also... It seems particularly kind of harsh. What, what do you yeah. think, Joe Davies? Is, it, is, is that kind of symptomatic of the, of the time they were in and the place they were in, or is that just Mr. Snow, who, who's, whose fiancé seems absolutely adoring of him, um, and then she is, is sort of messing around in the woods with this guy who we know is not of, of good character, and he just says... And he denounces her. Well, I mean, I think it's, again, going back to this, I'm just looking at the page in front of me now and just thinking that actually he doesn't just run out. He doesn't just say, you know, uh, you're lallygagging and I would never marry one and leave. He doesn't do that. He says, leave me alone. Leave me alone with all my shattered dreams. They're all I have left, memories of what didn't happen. But he doesn't leave. He stays and sings a song. He stays and sings geraniums in the window. So it's not, he doesn't march out with his sense of sort of self-righteous indignation. He stays. And, you know, he talks um, to everybody about all these things that might have been and are never, never to be. And the end of the scene is actually something that is quite comic rather than tragic. Because at the end of the song... Um, Carrie's saying, you know, say something sweet to me, say something sweet. And he has that line about Boston cream pie. Yeah. So it it's not like he he says, oh, you're, you know, you're a loose woman and then leaves the stage. Do you see what I mean? He do, mm. So it doesn't have, to me, it feels, again, more complicated than that in that he's feeling that um, he's being humiliated in some way, but he wants to stay and work out why that is. <laughs> You know, and at the end, he, he gives her an opportunity to, um, you know, to say what's been going on. And at the end, it feels like somehow she's she's got in there. Do you know what I mean? Because he doesn't, when she says, say something sweet, say something sweet, he doesn't turn around and say, you're a whore and I never want to see you again. <laughs> he says Boston cream pie and sort of stomps off with a sort of silly sense of his own self-importance. So I think... Um, I think there is more again in that. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't just dismiss her and run out. So they find their way through it. Because the next time we see them... <laughs> yeah, they've got eight children. <laughs> so, you know, it's he can't think that about her. He wouldn't marry her. He's got too much sense of um, social propriety if he really believed that. It's a momentary misunderstanding of a situation that he jumps to conclusions and then has to be... Um, you know, given the full the full facts, I guess, and he, and he gets roundly mocked by everybody else who's there. Um, I guess Jigger and his sort of gang uh, say there's there's nothing so bad for a woman as a man who thinks he's good. Because I think he's this sort of boring, stuffy type and needs to loosen up a bit. Uh, which then prompts the the female chorus to say, "Well, actually, there's nothing so bad as a ma- a man who's bad or good. Men are just <laughs> a nuisance." Uh, and it's off the back of that that we get one of the most talked about numbers in the show, which is What's the Use of Wandering? But before we talk about the song, let's hear it performed. This is Molly Lynch singing What's the Use of Wandering? What's the use of wandering if he's good or if he's bad? Or if you like the way he wears his hat Oh, what's the use of wondering If he's good or if he's bad He's your fella and you'll love him That's all there is to know 
Fantastic. That was Molly Lynch singing What's the Use of Wondering from Act 2, Scene 1 of Carousel. The track was made by Musical Theatre Backingtracks.co.uk, and we have a special discount code for you, our listeners. The code Piece by Piece, no spaces, no capitals, will get you 50% off your first order from Musical Theatre Backingtracks.co.uk. So, this song is uh, particularly fraught uh, in terms of the conversation around it because the lyrics seem to suggest, well, you know, what's the use in wondering? A kind of defeatist uh, attitude. So it's got a little bit of the kind of stand by your man uh, sort of vibe to it. So a lot of people use this as ammunition for sort of saying that Carousel is this sort of misogynist, outdated piece endorsing um, domestic abuse. Um, but Molly, you're the person that's sung it on stage. How, how do you... What's your perception of the song? Um, well, it's one of my favourite songs ever. It's about the complexity of the psychology of being with someone forever or marrying someone or committing to someone um, and taking them as the full human being they are. Um, I think it's actually uh, too often discussed as a woman like a woman and a man's role within a relationship and that a woman has to put up with the way a man is and uh, what's the but I I think it's it's much more um complicated than that and it's about uh loyalty and um understanding and uh I think Judy takes the commitment she made ex- like very very seriously Carrie has the line about you know it makes you wonder doesn't yeah. it and then yeah, somebody says you, you know tell her tell her Julie and the next line is what's the use of wondering why would you bother spending all your time wondering about and in that context it's about presumably Mr Snow when it starts yeah yeah. Not Billy. And there's a stage direction which says that she becomes increasingly autobiographical as it goes on. Um, yeah. But it also strikes me that maybe there's a lot of talk in the in the piece about, you know, who's good and who's bad. And people are saying Billy's bad. And she's saying, well, he's not just bad. He's, he's you know, these binaries which kind of slightly kind of conservative society want to impose are that you are either a fallen woman or you're a, you know, respectable woman. You're either a good man or a bad man. And she's saying, well, what, what do those things mean at the end of the day? You know, nobody is fully good or fully bad. 
we're humans and you and do you love another human or do you love an idea and i think the subplot the the carrie and mr snow relationship seems to be the respectable good relationship but actually it has its own complexities and uh difficulties that, that emerge especially towards the end of the show um and it strikes me that Julie's about somebody that wants to engage in the nuance of human beings and going, well, actually, relationships aren't about kind of ideals. Yeah, yeah. I think that bit as well, that middle section where she says something made him the way that he is, whether he's false or true, and something gave him the things that are his. One of those things is you. Uh, that's quite, um, for me, again, just like quite religious. There's something quite uh, hinting at, well, psychology and, and what, why he what is the way he is, the way he was brought up but also that she's been given to him to save him almost. I think that's something Judy thinks a lot is that, uh, no, it's actually, I've, I've been entrusted by God, by whatever, to look after this, to look after this man and to, to help it. And I think that's something that's really common in relationships is, is, you know, uh, no, this is, this is my job to, to put up with this and to, to help this person. To save someone. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, relationships with sort of difficult people where often both women and men suddenly feel that they can change someone or save them or mm. offer them a new yeah. way of being. Let's talk about the next scene. So in the next scene, uh, this is Billy and Jigger going off to try and sort of nick, nick the money from Mr. Bascom, who is the uh, the factory owner. And Billy's going to distract him and Jigger's going to you know, threaten him with a knife and, and kill him if needs be. But it all goes wrong and actually he's quite canny. He grabs Jigger's arm and he's carrying a, a gun he points the gun at Billy and as we like to find out he actually hasn't, hasn't even got the money on him at all because he's actually on his way back from the ship rather than on his way there so it's an all-round failure oh and did we mention in the meantime Billy's already lost the money that he might have made because he's let Jigger cheat him out of his earnings th- through card games that he's rigged so Billy there's nothing to be won here because um, he's already lost everything, which is it's, it's sort of a nightmare as it kind of unfolds and he gets deeper and deeper into this, uh, this gambling in that scene. Keith, do you want to sort of pick up, pick up the story and, and just talk about what happens and, and what the choice is for Billy once they get caught? It all happens so fast, doesn't it? It's like Bascom's there, the gun, and then the police come and he tries to escape and then he's got the knife. And I think it's in this moment that as I remember, Joe, when we talked about it, it was, does Billy take his life or does Billy accidentally kill himself? We talked about that a lot, didn't we? Yeah. And because in the movie, they make it very clear that it's it, it's not a suicide. In the movie, it's like, oh, he falls, he, he tumbles over and the knife's in his pocket and it kills himself. And that is definitely a kind of 1950s Hollywood take on it. You couldn't have someone committing suicide in a musical. Um, but what did you decide based on those conversations, Keith? I mean, we definitely decided that Billy took his own life. I do remember talking a lot about that choice, Joe, yeah? We, t- we did it so that... Um... He did take his own life, I think, but he did it because he felt totally, again, compromised by that situation. So it wasn't that... um, It was because he was being chased by the police and he sort of got chased up a a big galley, didn't he, in the shipyard and sort of got chased up these stairs and then (laughs) was sort of at the top and there was a man coming towards him with a gun and you could see the psychology of him suddenly going, oh, my God, if I... you know, if I get arrested, then I've got to spend a life in prison. And I think part of our um, joint kind of understanding of that psychology was that Billy couldn't have borne that embarrassment with his young child, that actually, as a proud man, 
it would be better for him to die than it would for him to go to prison. They have that conversation as well um, uh, before it happens where he says, oh, never been before a Supreme Court judge. And, and he says, oh, same thing in the next world for rich folks that have any court and high judge for you and me. Um, nothing but nothing but justice. No, like music and chubby little angels. And Billy says, oh, we won't get any music. And That's Jigger giving him a lesson. That's Jigger mm. winding the coil up of Billy to do the deed, you know? Because mm. Billy's yeah. Billy thinks about it when he's saying it. Billy really takes it all in. He gets distracted from the card game when they're talking about that. Because as we've seen, Billy is, he's, you know, he's quite, you know, he, philosoph he philosophizes a lot and he's, he thinks about the world and he thinks about things in a bit different way to other people, that, especially other than Jigger. He gets into this position where he's cornered and he decides, okay, the only way out I see that's feasible is, is to kill, kill myself. But do you think that it's, the idea of suicide has maybe been in his head before that it was something he even saw as an option in that situation or is it a complete panic? Because it's that weird thing about suicide and, and it's a it's a really drastic thing to do in a moment if you've if it just occurs to you, you know? Well they're talking about it in the scene before. <clears throat> so he yeah. says, um they start talking about killing a man. Billy asks about have they, has have you ever killed a man? And then um Billy asks, you know, I mean, suppose someday when we die, what will happen? So he's already yeah. got that investigation going on. It's already there. Mm -hmm. He's already thinking about what happens if it goes wrong. What happens if one of us dies tonight? Yeah. Before the thing actually happens. So it's sort of there in the zeitgeist. And I, I just, I love the way that Jigger has that thing where he says to Billy in that conversation beforehand, he says, oh, what we'll get, you and I, we'll get justice. Nothing for us but just justice. And, of course, what he is being is totally ironic. He's saying they're not going to get any sort of, you know, justice. Nobody's going to give them a hearing which says, mm. oh, well, you, you know, you had to support your family and you couldn't get a job. And so mm. it's this whole irony about the judicial system that actually you're never going to be judged fairly. And I think that's mm -hmm. massive in terms of the issues of identity within the piece and where we end up with, you know, with the full cycle at the end when Louise is saying about, um, you know, not being who your parents are, that you're your own person, mm -hmm. that actually you shouldn't be judgmental. And, and Jigger is talking about an entire system that is screwed, an entire judicial mm. system that is screwed, and that these people just don't count, which I think is tragic, and I think Billy knows that. And then when we, when they, he does die, and uh, he ends up in the afterlife. So this is where I think it's take a bit of a kind of turn of real turn of the unexpected, because a, a lot of it is unfolded in quite kind of naturalistic, kind of almost like real time. The bulk of it, albeit with a big old gap between the first couple of scenes, and suddenly we're in the backyard of heaven where there's a guy who's a star keeper and there's some amazing stage directions it says there is a celestial step ladder it resembles our own except it shimmers with a silvery light and there's also a celestial clothesline which uh, i think we sh you'll probably find on amazon now but it's quite <laughs> rare in its day um but uh it's what talk to me about this this the experience of staging heaven or the backyard of heaven how how do you go about that as a director joe what's because it is a bit it's a bit mad isn't it yeah i mean it it is a bit mad that whole sort of section anthony ward and i were we talked about it a lot and i just remember both of us sort of saying we can't have any notion of heaven because we don't know what it is and so it was kind of like how do we create within the piece 
a sort of abstract void, do you know what I mean, where actually people can put their own sense of what heaven is. So it was kind of like, rather than rather than designing heaven, it was like taking everything else away. That's what we kind of tried to do. So like the world fell away and suddenly you were somewhere else, as opposed to feeling that we had to create heaven. Um, so that's what we did. We just We just kind of took everything away. We had a very... Um, kind of gorgeous moment with the heavenly friend where a guy who'd just been stood on the dock suddenly through a projection developed these enormous wings and um, seemed to kind of embrace Billy. And then we just went to a normal room. We actually brought the... We'd had these sort of clapperboards around the side of the set and we just flew them all down and they just made a, a wooden box and there was just a man with a stepladder in it. So it was very abstract um, but it was like the world shifted. And then when we went back into watching the young Louise, um, we pulled up the sort of back panel of that and there was a video projection of the sea and you saw her kind of running through the sea. It was really very beautiful, what Anthony did with it. It was really gorgeous. In the, in the play, it's much more like a court room. It's much less amiable. But the folks in this this mysterious heavenly place, actually Billy's sort of made to answer questions about like, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And they sentence him. So rather than say, oh no, you can, you can go back if you want to, they, they sentence him and say, Lilium, you shall remain for 16 years in the crimson fire until your ch child is full grown. By that time, your pride and your stubbornness will have been burnt out of you. Um, and then they say, you're going to go back to, to Earth once your daughter is of age. But that's kind of a sentence that's handed out, is that he's got to undergo this sort of purification. It feels much more Old Testament, doesn't it? It's much more Old Testament. Because <laughs> in, uh, in Carousel, they kind of go, oh, he's like, what, 16 years has passed? And they're like, yeah, time flies. You've got to get used to a whole new, <laughs> whole new world way of telling time here. It's, 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 it's very much more kind of uh, New Testament and forgiving. It is interesting because he then gets to go back. And I don't know about any of you, but this it reminds me so much of Our Town, uh, which... It was, I think, it's Thornton Wilder, and I think it was in the 1930s. And in that, you know, the, the central female character, Emily, who you've been following the whole way through, she dies. You get to the final act of the show, and you find out she's dead, and she gets, to, uh, but she's given the chance to go back for one day. Uh, but what's interesting about in our town is that uh, Emily's sort of discouraged from going back. The other dead people, sort of the dead community, are like, no, you've got to get used to being here. Everything is here now. There's no point looking back. And she does go back, and she finds it heartbreakingly sad because she realizes how much she missed and how she never really fully lived life and never appreciated it and no one does and that's heartbreaking whereas in carousel there's an idea that you can go and fix stuff there is still stuff to be done and there is a purpose in going back to earth and there is some sort of redemption to be found in kind of fixing things down on earth. I always thought it was the opposite. I I thought it was kind of like a semi punishment that he got to that he got to go back and and kind of see what he could have had. It's quite painful. I know Lonnie had um Alfie like get when he saw Julie with with uh, Louise get like really distraught like oh my god like look at this thing I've missed all this and he got had him get really really you know devastated at at having missed all that and left them alone. and but It feels to me like, a bit like he's almost being put through therapy. It's like, you might not in, enjoy this, but you need this and you need to recognise what... And also seeing... And one of the things that the one of the heavenly friends asks him when they're watching uh, Louise do the ballet is when she's getting taunted by the snows, they say, you know, you recognise this, you remember this from your childhood, don't you? Um, 
and there's this sense of it's it's painful for him because it's his life and he's recognizing himself in that but yeah that's interesting because i'd not thought about it being a kind of punishment what do you think i I was gonna say i think that for me the thing that is kind of really amazing about the epic nature of the piece is how it deals with um generational cycles of behavior and how what he sees in his daughter because i might be misremembering this but doesn't she slap someone or hits enoch or behave really badly or something to somebody yeah. and she and that's that what he witnesses and... doesn't he witness her she pushes him away doesn't she they're having a conversation and i think she steals uh, something from one of the snow children as well yeah in the ballet she definitely gets violent i'm trying to see what the direction is in the script but she does yeah she gives junior a good punch it says here <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so yeah. you're a fine one to talk about my father, you know, a cheap barker who beat your mother. So Enoch Jr. is taunting her and she hits him. So this girl just suddenly turns around and hits this young boy. And what Billy's watching is a cycle of behaviour that is, um, you know, that seems to be playing out through generational DNA. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. and yeah. so the the whole brilliant speech that the principal has at the end where he says um you know don't effectively don't take on the sins of your parents you're your own person so little louise is walking around with the guilt that her dad was somebody that beat her mum because that's what the community are telling her whereas actually you know if they'd said he was a wonderful person then the kids wouldn't have had anything to taunt her with and she would possibly have not been so violent back to them. Mm-hmm. So it's a cycle of abuse that happens because we judge people. So even though Billy's dead, we're still talking about him. You know, Enoch Jr. is still calling him a wife beater. I think that's really complicated in terms of its generational energy, that actually these things can be self-perpetuating. I mean, it's absolutely given, isn't it? That if you grow up in a family that is abusive, you often then become the abuser. And... Mm-hmm. That's difficult because Louise hasn't grown up in an abusive family. She's just grown up with the notion that her father was an abuser. Just the ideology of it. So epic. And so suddenly the epic nature of that being like, well, because my father hit people and now you're teasing me about that, I have that Mm -hmm. in me. You know, I have my father in me and I'm going to punch you. It's a very complex thing. And I think that's what Billy wants to change. He wants to. He said he wants to change her response so that she doesn't just hit back. In the graduation speech in Act Two, Scene Six, Doctor Selden says, "It's the custom at these graduations to pick out some old duck like me to preach at the kids. I can't preach at you. I can't tell you any sure way to happiness. All I know is you've got to go out and find it for yourselves. You can't lean on the success of your parents. That's their success. And don't be held back by their failures. Makes no difference what they did or didn't do." you just stand on your own two feet. Which is great as an ideal, but it's not true in practice, is it? That makes me cry. Like, I just, like, I can't listen to that speech. Don't do it again. Okay, okay. It's so, so uh, but, emotional. But it's also, it's, it's, it's children will listen, isn't it? I mean, there's, you, you can sort of, so much of this feels like into the woods, you know, no one is alone. Children will listen. These things, you know, we do end up like our parents a lot of the time. And and so, and so Billy, Joe, you're saying is, uh, is trying to exhort Louise to say, well, don't be held back by what I did. You can be better than me. It's the next line that I always loved so much. It says, the world belongs to you as much as to the next fella. Try not to be scared of people not liking you and just you try liking them. 
And I think that's just massive, you know, because <clears throat> Louisa's hit Enoch Jr. because she's scared that they don't like her because of her dad. It's just massive to say, look, just don't be scared of people not liking you. Just find the way to like them, even though they don't like you. And that was something that Billy couldn't do. And maybe it's something Julie is capable of doing. It's like that line of that, that famous that famous bit where, you know, is it possible for someone to hit you and it not hurt at all? And and people, of course that's possible. You know, of course. If you're deeply in love and you are you know adore the person who hits you, it's of course it's possible. And I think, you know, to say that that's, uh, it's similar, you know, don't, don't be afraid of, uh, yeah, just try liking them. Like love, you can love someone through all the faults in the world. You know, it's, it's such a powerful like notion that is, is that, and I think, and like, I think Julie is the person who is capable of that and shows that throughout the piece that she still loves Billy. She still loves Louise. And she's that like ray of like, oh, that is possible to, to do it is possible and is it possible to live within the community and and still forge your own trail because i guess that's one of the things that is is kind of a conflict in carousel is that on the one hand we cheer julie and billy refusing to be governed by the rules of the society they're in but at the same time, they, they suffer because they're not part of it. And I love that moment where Julie starts singing and can't carry on singing in You'll Never Walk Alone. And it's like somebody else knows the song, they're going to pick it up for you. And at the end of the show, everyone's going to sing it. And and you have to have a heart of stone to not be moved by the finale of Carousel. I just There's something about the music, even thinking about it makes me shiver because it's just so powerful. But it seems like they're saved by the community at the end. It's, certainly that's the way it's sort of suggesting is that actually Louise maybe does have a future and maybe can kind of transcend her parents limitations as as humans does the community save them or does it damn them in carousel joe davies what do you think i think we don't know is the truth and i think that's the that's the wonder of it really is that we just don't know because we're left with the new generation and i i think it's really interesting in terms of the um action that you know billy is told that he's going to leave. And he says, no, no, I, I need to do something for my daughter. I can't go yet. I need to do something. And the only thing that he does then before the end of the piece is to say to Louise, when the um, principal is speaking, listen to him, believe him. That's the only thing he does. That's the only action that Billy has is to whisper in his daughter's ear, believe what this man is saying when he's saying you know, you can be your own person. And that's his action. But as to what the community does to support or not support that, I think we're left with a massive question mark. We're left with a massive question mark as to whether or not, you know, the sequel would be that Louise made a fantastic go of her life and became, you know, a wonderful educator or, you know, ran her own business or or whether she just somehow fell by the wayside and uh, went into an abusive relationship or, you know, lost her way in some way in that community. We don't know. Fantastic. I think we've pretty much left no stone unturned there. I don't think there's anything massive that we haven't covered. Um, just briefly, if, I, if you had to describe Carousel in three words... Okay, if you someone said to you, what what is Carousel and what does it mean to you in three words? Okay, Joe Davies. I think I'd have to steal sometimes. I'd have to say life and death. Strong, mm -hmm. strong work. What about you, Molly? I think it's about 
what's the right word like legacy or or family you know the the sins of the, your father and uh love um what it is family to really love someone. legacy and love yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's great keith i'd have to say epic life lessons epic life lessons yeah i think it's all those things um joe you have to do it oh my gosh I ask the questions, guys. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> now see how the um, tables have turned. Uh, I would say, uh, can I? I'm going to use compound words: heartbreaking, soul searching, forgiveness. Like I think it's about redemption. Like redemption would be in there. Mm, like, redemption. How, yeah. What? How is, is anybody beyond redemption? And I. It strikes me, I don't think, because Oscar Hammerstein, I know he was culturally Jewish. I don't think he was Christian, but there's certainly a kind of a... He, all of his shows seem to be about redeeming people who don't necessarily seem at the outset to be worthy of redemption. Whether it's Captain Von Trapp or The King and The King and I or Billy Bigelow. He has a fascination with the inarticulate male, the man who cannot express his emotions or his feelings openly and these sort of savior women who actually see the best in these people but it's about that communion of souls i think we talked about earlier on with billy and um julie um and i think he was like climb every mountain you'll never walk alone these anthems are about you know shit happens and and the oscar hammerstein as a dramatist his contribution to the musical was going let's not just tell stories about plucky showgirls who go from being in the chorus to being the star let's tell real stories and still find positive spins on them and still leave the theater feeling uplifted but also having experienced the death loss sadness bereavement the things that actually happen in life i wonder so, if in our cynical age forgiveness is less fashionable right and it's, I think you're right, but that, it's, it's radical, actually. That, 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 that line that you picked out, which I hadn't really thought about before, is, is radical. Trying to like people. Oh, my goodness. How much better the world might be if we all spent a little bit more time trying to like each other rather than leaping to be offended and leaping to be outraged and angry. Because it's so easy to be manipulated in that way and made to, to be angry. It's, like, it's also that our society, because we, have, we, we aren't really particularly religious anymore as a, as a, you know, culturally, or it's that kind of... You can really tell that they had some sort of spirituality in their lives in the in these stories, you know, like those you know that that golden rule that goes across all all religion is is in it. But yeah, it, it's it's not something we talk about anymore that we are reminded of constantly like they would have been every Sunday or do unto yeah. others as you would unto yeah. yourself. Yeah. We don't we don't really say that anymore. I remember in school being told that all the time it was on the walls, but I was in a very Catholic school. I think it is less fashionable. You know, like coming from Liverpool, there's still massively Catholic there as well. And um, you know, that sense of what Joe was talking about about at the end of the piece, the community. It's actually kind of gonna be the constant, isn't it? The community's not gonna really change. Even as time progresses, the generation's gonna fall into that pattern of community. You know, they're gonna gossip, they're gonna judge people, they're gonna change people's experience of life because of what their opinions are and it happens now today people are experiencing it online people experience it on twitter there's a community there that is uh, completely damaging to some people do you know what i mean and the way that they're using it. and i think that people looking at carousel could think about learning about how to communicate and how to treat people and human beings and about not trying to you know what's the use in wondering you know what don't try and worry about what people think what pigeonhole people put you in because you can't change that. You can still love you can only them. You change how yeah. you respond. You've you got, you got to love them, and that's radical. Um, 
and I could talk about this all night. I'd love, I'd love to just carry on talking about this forever. Uh, but we do actually need to, to draw this to a close. We have some very important business to attend to, and that is the conclusion of the carousel quiz. Uh, for the first three questions, I'm going to read a set of incredible words that feature in the libretto for carousel. You need to tell me which character says them. The first one is fussing and fuzzling and wazzling. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Joe jo Davies. That's me, Mr. Snow. Oh, is it? Or is oh, it? it? A fuzzling and wuzzling. A fussing and fuzzling and wuzzling is not Mr. Snow. At least oh. not on the contest. Jabba, 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 jabba. Okay, Keith. It's Nettie. No, it's not. I, does anybody want the full line? Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's, it. it's, a, it's, it's framed as part of a question, and the line is, Oh, what's all the fussing and fuzzling and wuzzling? A June! Oh, no, 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 Billy! No, Jabba, 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 Jabba. Oh, oh, it's not Billy. Keith? It's Jigger. It's Jigger. It's Jigger. Joe Davies! Sorry, Keith! All three of these lines come in the in the scene post-Clambake when everyone starts arguing, and everyone's language goes amazingly, specifically kind of dialect. So the second one is... Wharf yarns or spindrift? Wharf yarns or spindrift? Uh, June! Keith. Is, is that Carrie? Absolutely right. What? I ain't got time for no wharf yarns or spindrift. It's um, when. Uh, yeah. I think that was cut. I, yeah, you definitely didn't say that. You definitely, definitely didn't oh, really? say that. But I remember and reading I'm, it. I'm guessing that she's sort of saying, don't be a, you know, a sleazy sailor. I don't want your, you know, stories of the. You know, the sea or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, spindrift. But isn't that fantastic language? Uh, and the last one in this section, free, loose, and lily like it. I know that. <laughs> that has to be Alex Young. That's Mr. Snow. It is. The line is, I can't line. abide women who are free, loose, and lally like it. Right, the final section of the quiz, uh, you may be relieved to know. Um, this is all about whaling and clam bakes. So, uh, Olivia's been doing some amazing research on both these topics, and we've learnt a lot. Uh, so, question one in the whaling section. This is based on a lyric. So, uh, in the song, Blow High, Blow Low, Jigger sings the praises of whaling, because life is getting free and a fella can flip a hook in which part of a whale? Jabba, jabba, jabba. Keith. In the hip of a whale. You can in the hip. You can flip a hook in a hip of a whale. Very nice. good. Uh, this next one you won't know necessarily from the show, but you might know from your research outside of it. Um, so whalers sort whales for obtaining whale oil, spermaceti oil from sperm whales, and whale bone. Can you name any human use to which a whale bone has been put uh-uh, to? Uh-uh. Oh, Joe. <laughs> corsetry. Corsetry, absolutely right. Oh, oh you, yes. They made corsets out of him. Yeah, yeah, and you, you could also have had uh, traditional baskets, back scratchers, collar stiffeners, buggy whips, parasol ribs, switches, crinoline petticoats, and corset stays. Um, so a lot of uh, female clothing uh, was adorned with uh, whalebone. But again, and these three are all about clam bakes. Okay, so according number three, according to the lyric of the song, what did Nettie do to the lobsters cooked in the clam bake? Three Oh, Keith just got there just ahead of you, Molly. Keith, what is it? She's slitting down the backs. Very good. That'll get you the point. What were you going to say, Molly? Uh, 
Um, butter. It was something with, I was just down to the butter. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you a point as well. It's so the three, three lines he slit him down the back and peppered him good and doused him in melted butter. Butter, butter. yeah. Um, okay, so according to a traditional New England clam bake recipe, you should start by digging a hole in the ground, covering the bottom with large stones and building a big fire on top of the stones. But how long should you let the fire burn for before you put the food on? Lollygagging. <laughs> go for it, Alex. Eight hours. Okay, let, for this one, we'll give you all a guess. So Alex is saying eight. Molly, how long do you reckon? Ah, uh, three. Three or three. Uh, I think it's overnight, isn't it? I think they do it the overnight. day before. Okay, good. What about you, Joe? Twelve hours. Twelve. Molly Lynch is right. It was only for two hours, but you, uh, oh. you hit the stone. So you you, di- you dig a hole in the in the sand in the earth, and then you uh, fill it with stones, and then build a fire on top so the stones get really hot. But a couple of hours should heat them up. And next, you prepare the food. You wrap individual portions of your lobster, your clams, your potatoes in cheesecloths, and then once the rocks are hot enough to spit a drop of water back at you, you rake off the coals from the fire, and you cover the rocks with what? Anyone have a guess? Jabba, jabba, jabba. Go, Keith. It's not like Hessian. There's something like that, is it? You cover the It's a stones. good guess, but think of a more of a, like, a nature's answer to Hessian. Uh, oh, it's... Uh, is it no. straw? Joe. Joe? Is it like straw? You cover it with straw? It's, it's, a, it's a good guess, but it's not the one. It's just down to Alex and Molly. Lally Gagan! Alex Young? Branches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say... Yeah, June, I was going to say some sort of foliage Sand? or something. Sorry. <laughs> you're, you're, you're so close. It's seaweed. You 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 build seaweed. a bed of seaweed, right. and that and then I you once you put all the stuff and you wrap it all up in seaweed, and then it steams. I mean, this is vital knowledge. And frankly, I'm ashamed of you all for not being more <laughs> au fait with those things. Right, jolly good. Enough of that nonsense. Do you want to know who won the quiz? Yes. The winner of Act Two of the quiz was Keith with four points. Oh yes. Shame. But the overall winner, with a handsome tally of seven points, dun, 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 dun. is Alex Young. Yeah! Thank goodness, because she would have oh really God, kicked I'm off if that had not been the case. I'm desperate to win everything, but mortally <laughs> embarrassed when I do. So can I say an enormous thank you to our guests today? So to uh, Keith Hyam, Molly Lynch, Alex Young and Joe Davies. Thank you all very much. That was thank heaven. you very much. That was a joyful afternoon. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for listening to Piece by Piece. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PBP underscore podcast or email us with your thoughts. Piece by Piece talk show at gmail.com. Piece by Piece Carousel was recorded remotely and edited by Joe and Nikki Davison for Auburn Jam Music. Our guests were Joe Davies, Keith Hyam, Molly Lynch and Alex Young. Our theme music is by Ben Cox and our production assistant is Olivia Dowden. Piece by Piece is devised and presented by Joe Bunker and produced by Pint of Wine. Do join us again.